0: I want us to stop and ask God to continue to use the horrific event that took place in Charleston, South Carolina at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. When a 21-year-old man whose color of skin was white, entered a room where he was invited to come in and to pray with the people on a Wednesday night. And one hour later, this young man, having drank, the news says, a liter of vodka, turned loose and killed nine people. Now, I'm not an African, I'm not Episcopal, and I'm not a Methodist. And I don't think that any of that makes one bit of difference. But here's what I want you to note, mark it down. God is using this event and his people more effectively than anything in my lifetime as they speak to the world through the news media. The news media is having trouble handling God's people, humbling themselves and praying with the humility that those people have. It is absolutely incredible. Every man and woman that has gone to a microphone that if you've ever been around those events that are put in your face, no bitterness, brokenness, hurt, wounded. But just like Jesus, we finally have something when the world can see what Christians are supposed to be. And we need to just surround them in prayer because I will guarantee you the godless people are paranoid right now, but the Holy Spirit can surround those people and allow them to continue to share the love of God. You ever hear that old saying? I forgot who said it, but it's so, so long ago I wasn't even alive. But he said, I'd rather see a sermon any day than to hear one. We're seeing a sermon. We're seeing a message. We're seeing what Jesus was like. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So would you just join me, and I'm going to let you pray there for a few seconds, and let's pray for these people, that God will comfort them, that God will continue to use them, and one day we'll understand all of this. So would you do that, please? Heavenly Father, as you listen to your children, pray. And no doubt many are praying that are watching us on television right now for these precious people at the church in Charleston that are meeting to worship even now. And the eyes of the world are on them. And Father, we have seen them lift you up like never in our lifetime. Have we seen anything that had such an impact? God, would you please be glorified? I pray, God, that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, that we'll see it continue to happen. As world leaders and our own nation's leaders and our news media are just spellbound because they're finally seeing what your children are supposed to be like when we go through those tough, tough storms. So bless them, provide for them, watch over them, comfort them, strengthen them, and may their church just blossom like never before in bringing the people of their city to the cross where sinners can be forgiven and life can be brand new through a new birth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. (coughs) Well... Bible school is over. I don't know how you say wow. I guess I could say it backwards, wow. (laughs) Last week you prayed. I don't know if you have any idea, some of you, what has happened here this week. But over 2,200 attended our Bible school. And over 200 boys and girls invited Jesus Christ to come into their heart. And uh, <laughs> let me just give you two or three highlights of how God used it. Do any of you remember a guy named Bill? Somebody's saying, well, I had an uncle named Bill. No, I'm talking about the one that came through Houston. You know, the storm. <laughs> Tuesday. We we had met early our staff, our lead staff for Bible school. We went out on email, Facebook, Twitter, our television uh, line, our regular line into the church. We put out a blog every two hours, and we prayed, and we prayed that God would calm the storm. Guess what the Bible study was about on Tuesday night, when the kids came, go look in the hallway that's been there for two weeks. The story was when Jesus calmed the storm. And those little kids, were tell- they were threatening their parents, you know, if the water is over the car, let's swim into Bible school. They came back every night, a 100 more every single night, and they saw God calm the storm in a visual way. And on, on Thursday night when Bible school was over, there were still children in this building. Didn't want to leave because of what they had experienced at vacation Bible school. Our workers didn't leave till after midnight in trying to, to change order over the building, you know, from the Bible school motif to the today. And men, we already recognized all fathers, but I just want to say this to all the men that helped us. It was unbelievable to see the hundreds of men that came to be leaders in Vacation Bible School and to be counselors and to work with children of all ages. And God just magnified and showed you what godly men, how effective they can be in a setting like we had at Vacation Bible School. So let's just pray, 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 pray. God, (laughs) keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Now this morning... We're going to turn to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read 13 verses to you. And uh, I want you to listen very carefully today, even if you're not a man. Uh, The message today is entitled Real Men Don't Run. Real Men Don't Run. Uh, We're going to see the story in Acts as we continue. You'll remember there was Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. There were 12 apostles, one of them, a traitor, 11 left. We come to the day when they're gathered, as we've done in recent Sundays. And then you remember the number changed to 120. And then came the day of Pentecost. And there were 3,000 that came to the Lord. Now we're in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now these are those men that we've had in the past that we've been talking about. Being grieved that they taught the people and they preached. Through Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. They showed the people, and then they preached the word, is what that verse is saying. And they laid hands on them. They put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, verse 4, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. The crowds are growing. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now, this is a political meeting. They get together, they're scared to death of a bunch of godly men now that they're going to have to deal with. And when they had set them in the midst, verse 7, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, you remember the man that was healed there, uh, by what means he's made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised up from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole." This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Now, note verse 12 and 13. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. What a powerful, powerful text. How it wasn't their education. It wasn't their good looks. It wasn't their personality. It was the fact that these men who were real men, met another real man named Jesus, Amen. who laid down his life, not only for them, but for their, their wife, their children, and their children's children. And when it all came together, we, bes- we see the magnitude as it begins now to be almost an explosion of what God is doing through their life and their ministry. Now, I want to take you back memory for one verse of Scripture. I want to take you back into the Old Testament. I want to put these two stories together. The one I just read, one verse. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and shunned evil. Now, those of you that don't even know the Bible, many of you have heard the name of Job. You've heard about the patience of Job. you heard about this man, what his life was like, and so forth. But let me just, for those of you that may not uh, know all about him, I want to highlight it in just a moment, but... You see, Job was like Peter and John. He was steadfast. He made up his mind who he was, and he was like Joshua who said, As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And uh, today we live in a hope so world. We we today we hope our marriages are gonna last. We hope our kids stay off of drugs. We hope that we can keep our job. We, we hope that we can have a life that has pretty much some fulfillment in it. But most people, I think, would like to live in a no so world instead of a hope-so world. I, I think most of us today would like to know when we leave here that God's never going to leave us and never forsake us. Because, you know, you might get fired tomorrow. You may die tomorrow, or I may. I may lose my job tomorrow. But you know what? It didn't really make any difference if you know in whom you have believed and you are persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has committed to you against anything that comes against you. Promise-making And promise-keeping is the heart of God. Aren't you glad we have a God that promised all kinds of stuff and he says, I keep my promises? When a man makes a promise, he builds an island of certainty in a world of uncertainty. Something is different. When a man says to his wife, I will never leave you, My Lord said, I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. And you say to your children, I'll never leave you. To your wife, I will never leave you. To a friend, I will never leave you. It's wonderful to live in a world where you have people around you when you're growing up and you have parents that what they tell you they're going to do, they do it. Even if it is, I'll spank you if you do that. (laughs) At least you know. Joshua said, we're going to serve the Lord. One of the greatest assets any man ever has is and one of his greatest strengths is staying power. Keeping a marriage, keeping a job. Staying real. Not you can be promoted and not and yet remain the same. You can be the chairman of the board and the owner of the company and you still love the people that maybe are still working in an area of the plant or the business that does not take them up to the corporate world. When the Enron thing fell in Houston, one of the leaders said to the news when asked questions, he said, I work on the 41st floor. I don't know what happens on the third floor. Well, he paid deeply for not knowing what was on the third floor. But you see, that's America. That is where we are in so many ways. I read not too long ago, I've read several of them, but I remember reading one even recently that said the majority of our our voters in America do not care about the moral character of those that lead the nation. They say I'm a sin, I'm a sinner, I got my problems, so I just expect it of them. In other words, they're saying, I don't expect anything more of our leaders than what I have in my own life. I expect a whole lot more from my leaders. You know, I can't choose who follows me, but I can sure choose who I follow. And so can you. And so can you. But many years ago, I read about this man, Job. And by the way, if you say I never heard of him, he's Job, okay, (laughs) You say, oh, yeah, I remember him. I read about him in the Bible. I have no job. Well, he, you know, when you go to Bible school, you'll learn that's Job, okay? But I, I read about this man when I was a little boy. He has always been one of the prime characters of my life for several reasons. This man, first of all, he is a rancher. He liked the outdoors. He controlled thousands of acres of land. He was a man's man. He was a community leader. He had great influence on everybody that came around him. This guy had a wife and 10 kids. How about that? His wealth was impressive. With all of his wealth, power, and influence, he had greater strength. I don't know how. Got 10 kids and wife and health and all this kind of stuff. Well, his greatest blessing was he had a relationship with God. And what made Job become who he has become through the centuries was he was a man that walked with God, and he was a man of God. He was a man who carried his family in his heart. Even when they were grown, he loved his family and prayed for them daily. Well, one day, Satan, according to the book, I'm summarizing it real quickly, Satan was had nothing on, on his hand to do, as it seems like every day, but mess up people's lives. And he was looking for a man, a family to destroy, and like he does every day. And usually he picked the very weak, but one day he made a mistake. One day he picked this man, Job. And uh, he decided that this man that seemed to have unusual self-confidence, he didn't realize that he was a righteous man. He was a man that was right with God. A man that had his confidence not in himself, but he had confidence in the God that he loved and loved him. And all of a sudden, you think you're having a bad day? He lost his business. He lost his health. He lost his money. And he lost his family. Bang, 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 bang. In the course of just a few hours, it all fell apart not only did he lose his wife but she came back and gave him a real tongue lashing as to what a sorry man he was to let all this stuff get away from him and yes I think if we're honest it appeared to him we know better now I think he also felt like God left him that day I think think there was enough humanity in him, I know there was, that he said everything's gone. Even God has allowed Satan to do this. So then the question comes, what's he going to do? The facts are all laid out there. Is he going to wilt? Is he going to run? Is he going to stand strong? Well, those that know the book know exactly what he did. He stood strong. He had character. He did right on purpose, which is a real essence of a man. And he's not going to sell out his integrity for temporary satisfaction. Why not have an affair with a wife like that? Why couldn't he think like men think today? After all, the way that my wife is treating me, I think I owe it to myself. You know what I'm talking about. Why wouldn't he have that? I guarantee you had that, that same temptation. But he stayed faithful. Even when she didn't support him, he didn't run. You know why? Because he's a real man. Real men don't run. They don't run from the devil. And the only thing they run from is sin. And they cling to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Bible scholars call that patience, you know, the patience of Job, which I think is good. Today, I just want to call it staying power. Here's what he wrote to the persecuted Christians, uh, or what James wrote to the persecuted Christians over the New Testament. Verse uh, chapter one, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. God tests us. They test us at school, they test you sometimes in your vocation. And God tests us. He puts us through the test. Now, He's there, He's watching, He's ready to, to jump in, so to speak, like the lifeguard that's testing you. I remember when I was a teenager. They're getting a lifeguard certificate. And I remember they threw a big weight out in the water and I was supposed to go down in the deep end of the swimming pool and pick up that weight and swim out of it. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. But when I saw this big muscle guy over there who said, if you don't make it, I'll get you and the weight out. Well, he didn't have to, but I was glad that he was there. (laughs) Young Timothy watched the man of faith, Paul. He knew that he said, I fought a good fight. I finished the course, but I kept my faith. And uh, it had a tremendous influence on Timothy's life. Everybody from Texas knows about the story of the Alamo. Running was not an option. There was nowhere to run. There was nothing to do but to stand, and they did to the last man. On D-Day at Normandy, there wasn't a soldier that stepped out on the beach that had one iota of going back. Real men don't run. I read a story about a bugler that was, never did learn to retreat on his bugle and, you know, the cavalry, that's the way they would communicate. They didn't have iPhones and all that kind of stuff, so they had the bugle. And the trouble was he never learned to blow retreat. So when the commanding officer, when it was obvious that the little ragtag army was going to go down, he hollered to the bugle, blow retreat. Charge! And the story was, they won. (laughs) Isn't it amazing when you come to reality that there is a scripture in the Bible that says no weapon that's formed against you is going to prosper because this is inheritance of the children of God and of the men of God. No weapon that's formed against you, no temptation. It doesn't matter what is going on out there in that secular world that is so temporary. There is a God that lives in godly men who says, I will take over when you fall, and I'll pick you up and carry you with me to victory. Job did not understand what God was doing. He cried out in 13th chapter, verse 15, though he slays me, I'm gonna trust him. Wow, isn't that that a man's man? Oh, folks, today, real men are a vanishing breed. Uh, Tattoos and muscles won't do it. Drinking vodka won't do it. Right. You want to go against an enemy? Let Satan come against you. But don't run. And remember, all power is given to him in heaven and in earth. Amen. And when he can find men to flow his power through, it's endless what can be accomplished. Endless. Today's epidemic is not the Ebola virus. Nor was yesterday's AIDS. The enemy that is against us today is that people don't know what a real man is. And we have feminine men and masculine women, and the world is so confused, and our kids can't figure it out. And God's heart is broken. God created the heavens and the earth, He made men, He made women. And he had a plan, and it was a beautiful plan. It was a beautiful plan, and look what we've done with it. How bad is this epidemic? One-third of all children in America do not live with their natural father, and that statistic's 10 years old. Now it's closer to one-half. Over 30 million children are growing up in a nation where there's homes without a live-in dad. 85% of men in prison... Many of them are listening to me right now. They listen to me every Sunday. God bless you guys and for all the correspondence that comes from them. But 85% of them didn't have a living dad. And as I said to you last week, they were telling the whole world on the riots. The news, not the pulpits, was telling the people watching, most of these rioters have no dad at home. And we come back and all the news is showing men acting like the world and the young men feel like that's what I've got to do to be cool is be like them. I'll be honest with you this morning and get extremely personal. I've been here a long time. I could make you a long list of men that one time would sage my church and one day they ran. One day they walked out On their family, their children, their wife, their Christian friends, and they went with the world. And I can tell you without any hesitation, not one single one of them succeeded in believing it was better out there, not one. And many of them have lived long enough to have a broken heart. What in the world was I thinking about? Why did I do that? Real men don't run. Men that run lose their strength. A man is the best when he can make a promise and keep it. When you meet people like that, I've told this illustration several times and some of you are here for the first time. When I was nine years old, I stood by my father when... When one of my idols growing up, a man that I saw my daddy live uh, lead to the Lord, and I saw a man's man like, uh, like none other, they were, were ever superior that, that bought a big ranch out in West Texas and didn't have any fence around it. And he told my dad, he, he said, I'm going to, dad said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to fence it. Three of us, we're going to fence it. And he said, I'm going to pay for the fence. And I'm going to pay for the labor. And when I get through, my five neighbors will pay for their half the fence. My father, who was a preacher, said to the rancher, how do you know they'll pay you when you get the fence built? His answer was very simple. They said they would, Amen. and they did. You think that'd happen today? How many, how many attorneys do you think it'd take to build a fence around 10,000 acres in Texas with five neighbors? <laughs> and at least two of them would go to court. Why? There is no character. There is no steadfastness. You know, when you're going to be neighbors, why not be G-O-O-D? Take God, add one more zero, and be a good neighbor, and a good neighbor is a godly neighbor. You know what? God always has done and always will do exactly what he said he would do. God said, I will save sinners, but those that reject me, they will spend eternity separated from me. That's what God said. And he has never lied. Never. He's willing to take us up. If we're willing to repent and turn from our wicked ways, he will take us home. Robert Amaya, who was here last week, the Christian actor, the kids loved him. He's so funny. He's funny off the stage, on the stage. He sat right back up in the balcony last week. He told me over lunch on Tuesday, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I've been going to churches all over the world for five years. He said, when you used the word repent twice in your sermon last Sunday, I was shocked, pleasantly shocked, because he said, that's the first time I've heard that word used in the pulpit of a church in five years. You know why? Because that's not a popular word. But you know what repent means? It simply means Quit following the devil and repent about faith and walk with God. That's what it means. And all of us got to do it because we're all walking the wrong way. We're born walking the wrong way. Repent doesn't mean you're meaner than anybody else. I know you think you are. And after three beards, you really think you are. But God in us is greater than anything that stands against us. Don't run from your strength. Don't run from your protector. Stand strong. Those words, till death do us part. Any of you ever say any of that? I hope all you fathers did. They stood up and said, I'm a father. I hope you said those words then at some point in time along life. Till death do us part. What's that called? That's called a marriage. Well, what does it mean, till death do us part? Simple, it means till death do us part. (laughs) Men that run lose their strength. They lose their effectiveness. They begin to stumble about. But the ability to make and keep a promise is essential to manhood. It's trite to say it, but it's not trite to live it. If you make the promise, keep it. You know what? I hope, personally, that when I come to the end of life's journey, that somebody will be able to say he didn't run. I don't want to be a quitter. I don't want to be a person that says the weapon that's formed against me was too strong or the hill was too high to climb, or the problem was too complicated. Don't quit. Don't quit. Can you find a better job? Probably. Can you find a better climate than Houston to live in? Probably. Can you find a better-looking mate? Well, the wife can. It's questionable about the husband. (laughs) Can you find somebody that's just more fun to be with? Probably. Can you find a better cook? Can you find one that spends less money? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Can you find somebody younger? Probably. Or probably not. <laughs> well, what, are you, what should you do? What should you do? Stick to it. Drive down a stake. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. This roof, God provided it. You live under this roof, here's the rules. This is the way. Sometimes tough love is the best love. Sometimes you have to say no because you care. Don't quit. Clear the land, build the house, organize the church, build a school, plow the field, fight the enemy, protect your family. Forgive your wife. Stick to it. Don't run. Be a man. As I close, listen to Job twenty-nine, eighteen. Job said, "I shall die in my nest." After all that had gone on, I shall die in my nest, and multiply my days as the sand. This is Job 2:20. My root is spread out to the waters. And the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me, and my bow is renewed renewed in my hand. He stood tall. He stood like a man. Sometimes it's okay, men, to say, I was wrong. If I did your wedding, I'd probably use those 12 words. 12 best words I ever learned was, I was wrong. I, I look at the groom. Every time I do a wedding, I said, I want you to learn 12 words and use them often. First three, I was wrong. Next three is please forgive me. The next three is I love you. And the last three is I need you. Now, let's work this out. Let's work this out. Don't run. Don't run. I'm going to challenge you men today to stand tall. Start investing your lives in the kingdom of God and his church like you men did this week. There's not a Bible school anywhere in the world that had anywhere close to the number of men, percentage-wise, in leadership with children than what we saw this week. And it made a huge difference, and always does I talked to a family out in front, and they said, it's the first time we've ever come to a night Bible school. I'll tell you, there's two reasons why we have a night Bible school. Number one is because your kids are a little bit more wore out (laughs) in the later part of the day (laughs) than they are at the early part of the day. You know, we don't want to get them just out of the kitchen (laughs) breakfast. But I said to those folks, I said, but there is a second reason, and it is more important than the first reason, is that we learned years ago that when men are at a vacation Bible school and they're men of God and they stand firm, we have zero discipline problems. And we had zero discipline problems this week. Thank you, men. Thank you for giving up your golf game or your fishing trip or whatever you might have given up, even days of your vacation and coming to vacation Bible school. M- real men don't run. And listen to what First Corinthians 15, 58 says as I close. He says, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The two things that are most important to God upon which you have a profound effect, men, is your family and your church. Nothing would, will impact your life and their life like being strong in the church and with the family. Stick with it, man. Make good on your promises. Don't ever let go, no matter what? Amen. When marriage is not fun, stay in it. When parenting is over your head, stay at it. When the world is crushing in, don't quit and don't let it take you down. When your children fall, pick them up. When you go through a midlife crisis, live with it. When it's fourth down, no time's left on the clock, don't punt. Do something. But again, because we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. And at the heart of sticking, there's sacrifice. You think it's easy for him? Did he have an out on the cross? No, sir. I mean, yes, sir, he had an out on the cross, but would he take it? No, sir. No way. He could have called 10,000 angels. But God had sent Jesus to do something, to die for the sins of men and women, young and old, and he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And he died and said, It's finished. Yeah. And he gave up the ghost. But on resurrection morning, up from the grave, he arose. Yeah. Hey, you may feel like you're being crucified in your marriage, man. You may be Feel like you're being crucified with your company? Well, if you are, there's a resurrection coming. Right. There is a new day. Don't run. At the heart of staying power, there is sacrifice. But today, we need heroes. Jesus is a hero, Job is a hero and so many others, but we need some flesh and blood living today, heroes. Listen, I'm through. Why do you think those kids stood in that line all the way here and all the way to this front last week? Why do you think to get the autograph of some of the kids that they go to school with that were led, our teenagers that that were up here and our uh, our young people, they were just as important to those young people as the movie star was. But you know what? Those young people impacted those that are about five and six or seven years younger to where they'd stay up to 11 o'clock at night to get them signed a piece of paper that they probably have already lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's important, men. You tell me one thing that's more important than living the life God put you here to live and enjoying the blessings that God wants you to enjoy. He said, Jesus, as I am, so are you to be. And he stayed until he said, it is finished.